Welcome to the Digital Thoughts Podcast. My name is Zan Sayed, and I am a pharmacist turned product manager. I have almost 10 years of clinical experience in oncology, ranging from inpatient all the way to outpatient. My goal with this podcast is to bring people from all sides of the conversation together so that we can learn from each other and build a better healthcare system. In this podcast, we discuss everything digital health from the people to the products. If you do enjoy what you listen to, please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help a lot. Thank you very much, and let's get into the episode. Today, we have an awesome guest. His name is Vipul Kela. He is the CEO and co-founder of Curado Health. In this episode, we talk about how clinicians should be the centerpiece of all healthcare innovation, how do we set up a culture of innovation in healthcare, social determinants of health, and why it's so important, how current incentives are misaligned and don't promote healthcare practices. This is a great episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as I did. Um, hey, Vipul, how are you doing? Hey, Zane. Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. No, no. Thank you for um, agreeing to be on. I really, really appreciate it. For those who don't know who you are, uh, would you mind giving us a little background and introduction to you? Yeah, yeah. So I'm. my background is I'm an emergency physician by background. So I uh, originally grew up in the Midwest in Michigan, uh, practiced there for, for a few years, but uh, for the past 15 years, I've been in the D.C. area. <coughs> So as an ER physician, I, you know, worked in all different clinical settings, rural hospitals, tertiary care centers, suburban hospitals. And, you know, I tell this story all the time is when I first started um, my first when I first graduated residency and my first couple of weeks out in my first job, I remember waking up every morning thinking, wow, I can't believe I'm getting paid for this. Right? This is so great. And there was so much passion and enthusiasm that I'd come to work with each day. Um, and I always told myself in the beginning of my career that if I ever got to the point where I didn't feel that way, knowing that, of course, it'll wear, it will wear down. But if I ever felt really like I needed to make a change, that I would not stick it out and really try to pivot. So after a good uh, 12 years in a clinical career and some hospital executive positions, I really felt like I needed to do something else, right? I just felt, and for a number of reasons, <coughs> changing landscape of healthcare, which uh, we all talk about a lot. Uh, but I think a lot of it is just a lot, a lack of creativity. And I think that's not talked about enough as well. So providers um, are born, are trained to really think out of the box and to take challenging situations and make sense of them. And I think that one of the reasons that's not talked about enough for providers wanting to leave the field or look to do something else is because of the lack of that creativity and control. That's exactly how I felt, right? So I, there, there's a certain mentality that you just, the hamster in the wheel mentality that I think every provider will feel at some point in their career. And what you do with that, everyone has a different path in what they do with that. For me, it was that I need to get off that hamster wheel. So... The first thing I did, being from any, like any good South Asian, uh, was to get some more education. <laughs> when in doubt, get some more school. So, you know, <laughs> see, you know, and that was the default. So I went to graduate school and I said, I want to learn more about business. So I got an MBA and, um, and you know, I think that that was good just because it was able, number one, I was able to understand the language. But number two, I was really just able to explore different areas that I'd never had a chance to or time. To explore during my when I was busy with so many clinical activities. So coming out of that, um, which is a few years ago, I thought, okay, well, I finished my MBA. Well, now what? <laughs> and I think that that's not talked about enough, right? You come out of you do something like that, and everybody thinks that well, that's the end of it now. 
you're either going to be getting some amazing opportunity or, you know, everything is set for you. That's exactly the wrong approach. So I, just, I think that that's a really important lesson is that that is just the beginning of your learning and education. So when I, when I got out of, when I got out of that, out of that, I said, well, I really wanted to get deeper into the digital and tech space. Um, so, uh, and we could talk about the journey, but, um, you know, to sum it up over the past five years, I've been in the health tech and digital health space. I'm the, uh, chief medical officer of a, of a medical device startup. I've been consulting, um, in various areas in healthcare and healthcare, uh, with a number of clients, uh, large clients, fortune 500 companies, uh, hospital administrations over the past five years as well. And about six months ago, I decided, well, I think it's time to really do something on my own and to create something I think would be really valuable. So uh, over the past six months, I've been creating my own startup called Curato Health. And the goal of that and the problem that I'm trying to solve is keeping the physicians and the practices that I've been interacting with that I know very well what their pain points are to try to bring something valuable to them to either give them more opportunities and alternatives outside of their clinical career or uh, solve the problems to keep them viable, right? So whether they're trying to, whether they're trying to um, you know, increase the revenues or improve their efficiencies so that they can increase the, lively, the, the life of their practice for a few more years, I think that there's a big opportunity um, in that space of so these small and medium-sized practices or tech companies right, that are trying to grow. So one of the key insights is, and I've talked to you about this, is that there's so much knowledge like you have and so many so many people that are just on the sidelines. And I think it's just a wasted opportunity that we're not leveraging, leveraging this in a better way. Um, and, you know, I have conversations with clinicians and healthcare providers almost every day that are looking and dying to get into this space. You know, and they have really a, so much expertise and so much value to offer. Um, that I think that, that that doesn't get talked about enough when we hear about all the, you know, about all the fashionable or sexy stories about uh, tech companies and digital health companies raising these big rounds. And, and you know, you get wrapped up in that. And that's, you know, there's, of course, there's value to that. But I think that one thing that we need to get back to is um, the human side, you know, and the value and insights that clinicians and healthcare providers, you can only achieve after years or decades of experience and, and working in the field. So a long and rambling intro, but uh, that's who I am and that's how I got here today. <laughs> no, I love it. Um, I think that that is great. I think that, you know, when we first talked, we really connected on the fact that, you know, I think as clinicians, we are, cre I mean, there's a lot of creative physicians, I mean, clinicians out there, right? Um, you are one of them. And and I think that the way the medicine and healthcare has been going, it's been stifling that creativity for various different reasons, right? It could be external factors, internal factors, whatever. Sometimes you kind of come out and you have like this view of changing the world and then you get in and then healthcare slaps you across the face. And, yeah. you know, it's unfortunate. We see a lot of amazing, brilliant minds kind of go to waste, honestly. Yeah. And it's really hard to see. So I love what you are doing. And I love that. You know, and I think there's also something to say that, hey, let's take our fate into our own hands. So, you know, you being a physician, you saw this problem. And you're like, you know what? I'm not going to wait for somebody else to fix it. I'm going to fix it myself. So that also is amazing as well. Oh, thank you. I mean, I think that um, and I have a real appreciation for this entrepreneurial journey of being a first time entrepreneur. Um, you know, it's 
there's so much learning involved um, and it's not a linear path of course you know you have to be you have to go in with a mindset that you're not going to suddenly spend months or years on something and then present this beautiful thing that you've created and i think that that's where people get wrapped up and and quit quite frankly because of that um and that was kind of how i thought of it as well as let me spend some time creating this amazing thing and then i will preview it to the world it'll be great and that's exactly the recipe for failure it's really like and, and the, i really appreciate this way of thinking is and this is something we're not taught necessarily in medical school or graduate school or whatever is that you have to get a, an idea of how you're going to solve a problem and get started you know you have to put together some key elements of how you're going to show that you can solve something and then just get to it, you know, and then you begin and you keep uh, testing and iterating, testing and iterating and learning, right? Because I think I've gone through at least 50 different iterations on what I thought this would be. Uh, and I think that that's all a necessary part of the journey of any, every entrepreneur. And I think that as healthcare entrepreneurs, we probably don't appreciate that as much, you know, as, um, serial entrepreneurs or five-time, 10-time entrepreneurs where it's, it's, it's very obvious. But as healthcare entrepreneurs, I think that we are in, always in this mentality that we need to have something perfect. And then, and then and, and we're not going to just do it uh, halfway or half-assed, right? Like we're going to do this. We want to have it perfect. And I, and I think that, that it takes a little bit of detraining <laughs> and you got to change the mindset that, no, it's actually okay. And part of the journey is to continue to iterate. Um, so, so yeah, that's no, you know, a lot of interesting insights from this journey. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think healthcare brings a certain type of personality to it, and it and it's almost needed, right? We need to be kind of perfectionists. You know, we literally have other people's lives in our hands. We can't just be nonchalant with it. But you know, to your point, it can hurt us in other things yeah. that we're doing you know for example like entrepreneurship where especially in tech right one of the things in tech is you start something and you quickly iterate and try to find mm -hmm. the right answer right product market fit whatever it happens to be and i was talking yeah. to somebody actually um this morning and we were we were discussing this so he's not in healthcare he was coming he's coming into healthcare as a consultant like a tech consultant and mm -hmm. uh we were discussing how you can have the most amazing solution but if it takes you five to 10 years to get to the quote unquote perfect solution, now you're already, once you come out, you're now three, four years behind, right? And, Absolutely. you know, you see this happening constantly and it's, um, and you're completely right. We need to detrain ourselves and it's really hard. I don't, maybe you can give us some uh, insights on how you got, <laughs> how, how you did that. Cause I think we all, all of us need that help. Uh, yeah. You know, and I think that the most important thing that I've learned is that you have to just get very, very comfortable with you know, not being the most knowledgeable person in the room and and also um, of failing many times, right? And I know it's somewhat cliche to say that, but it's really the truth in that, you know, there are often times where I'm in, my, I'm in a meeting and I'm learning about something, um, exploring, and I'm probably the least knowledgeable person in the room about something. You have to just really be comfortable with that. You know, I think most physicians or healthcare providers uh, are trained to think that with more knowledge and more learning, every time I'm the expert, I'm always the expert, I'm the go-to. And you typically are. But uh, in this world, it's totally different. You have to know that you have a certain expertise, but you're not going to be in the sex. You're going to the success of the team is really going to define how you end up doing. So I had to. Um, 
I had to take that to heart, and I, it does. It makes me a little bit humble. And I have a really deep appreciation for people that go through this process or that spend. Um, you know, I was just on a um, a venture call. There are four hundred uh, uh, entrepreneurs on there at various stages, and people that have been working doing things for decades and still raising and things like that. And I thought, wow, that requires a lot of persistence and a lot of dedication and a lot of belief in what you're doing. Um, so I think most people will, you know, and I hear providers as well or healthcare, they'll say, oh, I should have thought of that. You know, I said, well, that's like 0.01% of the journey is just to think of, <laughs> we've all thought of things, right? So it, that's not even, it's so irrelevant, right? Like the, what, what it's, it's going to be about the, the persistence and the diligence and just keeping the ball moving, uh, iteration, and that's going to take months and years. Like, are you, do you want to do that? Like, do you, it's great that you thought of it, but there's 99 other percent of the things that have to happen after that in order to get you to success. And I think for most people, it's, that's not the case, you know, so, which is fine. And I'm not saying that everybody um, needs to be an entrepreneur by any stretch. Um, but for those that do pursue that path, I think that that's somewhat underappreciated. And, um, you know, the other thing about just relating it to science is that when you think about product market fit, um, that's really a science in and of itself, right? Like I think about like, okay, it's a puzzle. How do I connect, you know, the one piece to the other? And that's product market fit, you know, and there's certainly a science to that, you know, it requires a certain amount of research and piloting and, um, and iterating, but then it's going to be a lot of that over and over, testing your hypothesis over and over, learning, uh, discovering, um, and that's a science in and of itself, right? So if you think about it as, yeah, I'm not talking about core science all the time like I used to, but there's a lot of analysis that goes into this part of being an entrepreneur as well. I think it makes it, it makes it, it, it just kind of makes it more relatable, you know, because we're all scientists at heart, right? We all are just, we like to get into the deep details of science, um, which is great. But um, as an entrepreneur, you have to, you have to realize that there's a science to this, but the science involves a lot of failure as well. So it's not just that learning and learning and learning and studying and learning and boom, you have the solution. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. And I think that, I mean, the, the thing is, you know, everything you're mentioning, there is a lot of parallels. I mean, outside of the perfectionist thing, if you can get past the perfectionist thing, I think healthcare people are very persistent because we have to be, right? You know, we yeah. can't take no for an answer. Like, that doesn't exist for us, right? Even though yeah. that might be the only answer, we're going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing, yeah. you know. And, you know, I love the fact that you said product market fit is a science and you have to kind of think of it as one to kind of, you know, kind of make it relatable to us. And that was one thing that... um it took me a while to realize that there are a lot of transferable skills that we have as healthcare yeah. providers that tech needs, you know, and, and we might even be better at some of those skills than, you know, lifelong tech people. Right. So it's great to hear, um, you know, yeah. somebody like you, you know, finding that and showing others like me that, Hey, you know, we can make it, but I'd like to talk about your startup. Uh, you know, what, what is it about? What are you doing? What are you building? You know, excited to learn. Yeah, so Curato Health is a healthcare uh, advisory company, and we're looking to solve two major two major problems. Number one, how do we bring value to these small to medium sized companies or practices that are looking to stay viable? How do we bring them more products and services that will be valuable to them? 
And number two, how do we bring opportunities to either you know independent providers or, or clinicians that have a lot of knowledge to bring to the table, like we've been talking about, but it's just not being leveraged in the appropriate way. Right. So we're, we have three main verticals of um, operational focus, a finance focus, and a digital marketing focus. Uh, really, with those, with those, the solutions of being how can we bring valuable things to practices, right? So the marketing side is how do we uh, create, for example, and how do we do things a little bit differently, right? So one of the things we're doing with marketing is how do we create more precision marketing, right? How what we don't talk about enough of is evidence-based marketing, right? So how do we take the science of what we all know and create something that's much more precise than a basic marketing approach? And that's where clinicians can really have a lot of use and a lot of value. You know, so a lot of, I have, we have a digital marketing team, but our goal is to, anytime we go in with a, with a tech, tech company or practice is to overlay all of that clinical expertise to, to create a very unique marketing message. Um, so that's one of the goals with what we're doing in marketing. On the finance side, it's practices that are, Having, you know, looking to improve their cash flows, right? So one of the biggest problems that we see with practices is just basic understanding of P&L and cash flow. And and you don't always have to see more patients or work harder, right? It's just getting these things more organized. So these are a lot of things that I think are a lot of valuable tools. And we want to be the one that the trusted company that providers will turn to when they need these things. It's also things like raising capital. If you are looking to sell your practice, you know, you're going to need some resources to do that. Um, and then on the operation side, right? So the operation side has a lot of, um, one of the things that we didn't want to do is just throw a bunch of tech in and say, all right, look at how shiny and cool these pieces of tech are. It's really, all right, what's the real value that these things are doing? Are they improving your efficiency, improving your revenues? You know, how are they improving the operations for your practice or for your company? Right. So, for example, we have uh, remote patient monitoring. Um, we have some AI tools that improve coding processes. And we have some basic human elements as well. Right. We have consultants that have done work for decades on very challenging problems in hospitals like uh, hospital capacity management and patient flow. So it's this ecosystem of, you know, tech solutions, expertise, along with consultants that we bring together you know, and create something very unique to a practice or for a company. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that sounds amazing. So do you guys, okay, let me, let me phrase this properly. So when you guys go into a practice, so you guys, do you guys service uh, like clinics, smaller practice? I mean, you kind of mentioned you kind of medium to small size practices, but do you guys also do like hospital systems too, like smaller hospital systems? Yeah, we do. Uh, I was just on the phone with a, with the practice manager of an MSO this morning. Um, so ACOs, MSOs, um, now we haven't done a lot of work with, um, large hospital systems, but certainly something that we could, we could look at. But I think that when you look at the basic problem of viability of practices, it's still going to probably be our, uh, our bread and butter, right? Um, you know, today somebody was telling me that, um, in their MSO, there's still practices that are still on uh, paper which I didn't think that was even a thing anymore. <laughs> uh, I won't name the state just to implicate anybody, but it was like, I can't believe that. So I think we think that we're so far along and we talk about, you know, AI and, and all these different things now, but we have to remember there's a lot of 
low-lying fruit that still needs to be taken care of. <laughs> and um, so I see that a lot, right? You know, people also say, I need a more customizable EMR. I need something that'll fit with my practice. Um, we have to think that, you know, it's not traditional medicine is, it's, that's not the only part of medicine anymore, right? We have all these alternative practices, integrative medicine, functional medicine, statics. Like we have all these things that people are doing that are still part of the healthcare community that need to be, and there's value that can be driven, be given to them as well. Right. So we got to think outside of the hospital walls and outside of just primary care offices and think that there's a whole other, there's a whole other, um, there's so many other verticals to look, to look at. And then on the technology side, right. So we talked to a lot of early stage companies or late stage, like at the series A level where, you know, they need to engage a clinician or somebody with expertise to, to about a product. They need that knowledge. And we see that a lot. Or companies that will go along and create the product without ever having got uh, received the input of a clinician. Think about how much time and wasted effort that is. And I see that a lot. Um, and I, I just can't believe it. Like, there's no physician or provider on the table. Like, you know, they're not, there's no one as part of the operating team. So... I think that's a problem that quickly needs to get solved because what we've seen with all these, you know, pre-pandemic, now post-pandemic, all these 90% of these digital health companies are, are are not doing well, right? So the 10% that are surviving are going to be because they've taken this more more thoughtful approach. Yeah, no, and I, and that's great that you guys are thinking outside of, and you and and it's really showing why clinicians are important, right? Because you're thinking of, like I talk to people like, you know, one one I love technology, I love digital health and all that stuff, but a lot of times it's going after like the haves, the people that already have it, like the big medical centers and the big yes. um, you know, hubs of, you know, like the Mayo's where I used to work later, you know, Sloan Kettering, like all these big institutions, but the ACOs and all these mm. places that really need it, like you were talking, like they're still on paper. Like something so simple can really change their life, but they're right. so forgotten. But you know, it takes really a clinical mind. I mean, not somebody who has worked in that system, right, has seen patients from that system or has gone to that system and worked in that system to really understand, like, hey, they really need our help. Absolutely. And I think that one of the things that I've learned just one of the things I did take away from from business school is just when you think about competitive strategy, um, you know, you're not, you're not just competing with the U.S. You got to you can start thinking of outside of the outside of the country now too with digital health companies and tech companies. One of the problems in and I hear this now frequently. One of the problems that we see with foreign companies and there's a lot of great tech that's out there, and whether it's in Latin America or Israel or India, and most a lot of that tech never ends up in the U.S. market because it is so daunting from a regulatory or from an insurance standpoint or clinician that they don't even know how to navigate that to bring it. So there's all these great pieces of tech that are maybe at a better price point or more efficient or bringing something really unique to the market that we may never see. So one of the things I think that's a problem that still needs to be solved, and this is what we're, we're looking at doing as well, is levering the clinicians to do that work. Helping these companies that are also abroad, that have great products, they may be already FDA approved or gotten receive their uh, approval in their own country, and now they need to get to the U.S. but don't know how, right? So that could be another opportunity that that we have um, to leverage our clinical expertise. So yeah. an outside one, which I didn't appreciate, you know, when I started, you know, I was just thinking about the U.S., but you, there's so many more opportunities outside of this country. 
Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, uh, maybe after this call, I can give you a couple of companies that I think are amazing um, yeah. that are in, <laughs> in, in Europe, actually, that are trying to break okay. into the United States. And yeah, I mean, like you said, there's some great, I think when we live in the United States, we get kind of caught in just our little bubble, like, hey, there's nothing that exists outside of us. And one thing I've found as I've been talking to different people on this podcast or just in general, just networking with people, that there's so much amazing stuff. And the other thing is healthcare is the same everywhere, right? Everyone is experiencing the same issues. So everyone is trying to solve the same problems, but, you know, but they're just in a different area of the world. They're just in a different country. And, you know, instead of reinventing the wheel, reinventing the wheel, you know, why don't we bring people that are already doing great work, bring them here and help us. Absolutely. Um, I'll give you a little story that, uh, that really made this clear to me. So one of my MBA projects was to do um, a week in, in <laughs> Lima, Peru. And, um, you know, I spent a week there and then I uh, spent a couple extra days to go to uh, Machu Picchu with my wife. And on the way to Machu Picchu, for those of you who have been there, there's a small town um, called Oyatitambo. And you have to go to this town in order to get to Machu Picchu. So we stayed in this guest house one night, and um, it's this very small town. They actually have rickshaws, which Zane, you know what those are. Um, they have rickshaws in this town, which is <laughs> cobblestone streets. It's just beautiful. And, um, you know, and I speak Spanish. So I was talking to the, uh, you know, the owner of the house and just started talking about healthcare for some reason. And I was, we started talking about that. And he's, you know, we have a big problem with, um, cervical cancer in this area and so wow, wow really and you know because of a lack of um you know there's not able to get proper screening and and he said not only that um you know you would have to go to lima um to see an oncologist there's no oncologist here we can't afford to go to lima like there's no way we, there's no way for us to get there when you talk about lack of access, this is the definition of a lack of access. It's almost a death sentence um, if you have, and it's even more. And he talked about other populations in the Andes Mountains. If you have, you know, these one of these diagnoses in the Andes or these hard to reach places, you, and you, you know, all of your oncologists are centered in these big cities. Um, there's really nothing you can do. So we, I think we just when we think about access, we think about okay, rural America and. You may need to drive a few hours away to get to the hospital. And think about think about this. You're in the mountains. You can't even. There's no transportation. You can't even get to a city. And it's a death. And he really said that that it's it is a death sentence because they will never get the care that they need. So I think that really hits home for me is that access to care is a is a very people say it become almost like fashionable to say that we're going to improve access to care. But think about what it truly means in some of these countries is that. They can't even get the basics to, or they don't even have an opportunity to. So that just means that there's other opportunities, right? So the telehealth or wearables or things like that, um, that are just so much opportunity. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that's a, that's a crazy story. And unfortunately, you know, that's one, I mean, we're both from, you know, the South Asian area and there's a lot of stories like that as well, where people mm -hmm. are literally in yeah. these old towns, there nothing, right. And And like the smallest thing will, literally yeah. kill them unfortunately and it's really yeah. sad to see and i think that you know hearing that those perspectives and i agree with you i think access to care sometimes <clears throat> when people say access to care and then you see where they're marketing it to you know again they're going yeah. to the you know big cities and things like yeah. that 
you know, I understand. I'm not saying inner cities do not need access. They 100% need access. But, you know, they have, a lot of them have hospitals within a, dri- you know, driving, walking, taxi, Uber distance or whatever, right? Um, so, yeah. I mean, it's it's like, are you truly really solving the access to care, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, so everybody now talks about social determinants of health and it's part of quality reporting and you have some of these ACO models that have it. I mean, I think the one danger is that it ends up just being a checkbox. Yeah. Right. That, okay, did you discuss transportation with the patient? Yeah. Did you discuss, there's two out of five things there's food, education, transportation, whatever. And did you discuss them? Check, check. I mean, if we, I, I think that's one of the dangers with, with that when you create this checkbox mentality is in order to get my reimbursement or whatever risk model I'm on, I need to check these boxes. You know, that's really not going to improve anything. Uh, the social determinants of health is is you know, requires a lot of deep investment, and that doesn't necessarily get seen over immediately, right? And it's a lot of cultural, um, you know, which I think we don't appreciate enough. Is you know, changing the diet of cultures is very difficult, right? I think we both can appreciate that in our cultures. Is that to suddenly change? <laughs> anytime you go to to uh, you know, my family's background's India, and it's yours, Pakistan. Yeah. Yep. So you go there and, you know, you see what these guys, you know, the, the diets and it's like, wow, I can't believe it. I mean, it's just around you at all time eating. Uh, yeah. it's, it's fun for us for, for, we go for a week, but then we get out of that environment imagine just living in that environment and that's what you have. So I think that, um, you know, those getting into those cultural aspects of the social determinants of health are really going to, that's another layer that we need to consider uh, in order to really, really change some of these in, these habits, which are grown and just inculcated into the culture, right? So. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that, I mean, I think to really solve social determinants of health, I personally believe that you need the community that you need that specific community to solve to help them solve the problem, right? Because you know, some communities have an opioid epidemic, some communities have a obesity problem some communities have a higher rate of cancer some communities have a food desert right they don't have food right some community you know there's so many different things right not everyone falls into the same exact box so if you're spreading money across all these different programs when they only really need one of them are you really helping that community with the social determinants of health and that's i truly believe and you know this is kind of going off topic a little bit you know like all these mergers and acquisitions i understand why they're happening but i think that's also taking away that community hospital model right that community health model where it's kind of like you know you have somebody in it like you know eight states away from you telling you hey you know you can't be doing this program you have to be doing this because this is not making enough money but that's the program that's actually helping the community so when you get rid of that you're are you really helping the community anymore you know what i mean yeah i mean i think to say that's the anything whether it's anyway if you're trying to achieve economies of scale whether you're in a hospital merge M&A or whether it's part of a, a health company that has a SaaS product or whatever, you can't fit everybody into this nice bucket and buy this piece of software and or have this protocol across the whole community, right? I mean, we say healthcare is local, but it, it really is because there's so many nuances to take into consideration, right? All these factors that are unique to the individual that I don't think we can get there in, the, in with the way we, you know, with the M&As are only increasing, right? And at some point, things are going to have to come back to center or the other way in order for us to really make a dent in this stuff. I mean, I, I, I'm with you on that, that the main problems will not be solved through. And I know that that's, you know, that there's 
it's not necessarily the viewpoint of everybody, but I think that the, the main problems with healthcare have to be solved at a more local level. Yeah, I completely agree. But um, I, let's bring it back to uh, your startup a little bit. Uh, we kind of okay. we kind of went off uh, a tangent. I yeah. think it was it was a very good tangent, and I think people will learn yeah, a lot from absolutely. that. And but so, um, you were talking about um, so when you come in, you help guide. Do you do you have like partners you work with on the tech side that you can bring in? Like you know you have like yeah. CRM platforms or RPM path, yeah. whatever it is. Do you or do you so, guide yeah. them to different ones? Yeah. So part of what we wanted, number one, we didn't want to create a big marketplace, right? There's plenty of marketplaces out there. And what we wanted to do is spend a lot of time vetting the right solutions and the right partners, right? So whether it's RPM or RCM or whatever, whatever we have has been vetted, We whether it's in the product that they have, the quality, the cost. And we may, we only, we may only have one or two, but those are the ones that we're going to stand by, right? Because when we initially when we initially uh, started this idea, it was that we we're going to be at, create this advisory network, but of course that can't be exist by itself. Invariably, there's going to need to be some products that you have to have with the expertise. So combination of products and services. Um, but my goal when we started was to not be a, a marketplace where you can just go on like any other and pick. It's got to be something that's based off of you know third a vetting process. We we have these relationships with these vendors that we've developed over the past you know six months and are continuing to still develop. And I talk to several every week, you know, and many many you know they're they're not always the right fit, but we talk to several, um, and there are some that we don't even know about yet, you know. But we have a, a small a small number of solutions that are very high yield um, that I think will bring a lot of pra- a valuable practice right now. Um, but that's that's the that's the mission. That's kind of the ideology of continuing to just continue to grow the ecosystem, have a long, have a, a strict vetting process, make sure there's a cultural fit, make sure these are long-term partners, um, and then, you know, grow the company that way. Interesting. Yeah, no, that, that sounds, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's half the problem, right? Um, knowing if a app is worth, you know, like the technology is going to work, right? I mean, I've, I'm not going to name any names. I've been part of technology um, implementations and you've seen it fail in other yeah. places, but yet they keep being implemented because, uh, you know, they have great sales teams. They have great marketing teams. Um, and you're like, you're telling them, Hey, this didn't work here, but you know, it just kind of, you just kind of get bulldozed and whatever. So, and then after the fact, it's like, Oh, no one told us it didn't do this. It's like, what are you talking? <laughs> so, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, one of the nice things about working with uh, small early stage companies or small practices is that you get to work with um, products and services of people that are also similar and may have a great product, but they're not the dominant player in the market. So they're more willing to work with us and they're also much more flexible in their approach. You know, so they're more willing to do things to customize. And I think that that's a great space to be in. So yeah, we're not going to go to the big dominant mark, you know, behemoth and say let's do business. <laughs> I mean, that's that's not our sweet spot. Like that's not going to happen, you know. But uh, there's a huge opportunity for these small and independents to go and say, "Are we got we find the right partners for you?" Right? You know, whether it's your EMR or your your bill or whatever it is, and they're customized for you. So I think that that actually helps us when that's so when we talk about product market fit, that's exactly the point. Is that find the right customer segment you're going after right and solve a problem for them 
And we're not, you know, we're, we're a startup, so, but this is the thinking is that we can just solve that problem for these guys. And that's a pretty good solution right there. So No, I agree. And I mean, it's, it's almost like you're creating a partnership rather than a transactional relationship. And I think a partnership is always, always yields better results. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think the trust factor is really high. I mean, we hope that, you know, these relations we have will be over many years and by offering all these different verticals that you may not need these now, but at some point you will need some of these financial tools or you may need some of these other operational things we have. Um, So yeah, that's the, that's, and I think that what my, just from the conversations I'm having, people are really looking for that. But they want someone to trust. I mean, it was a practice manager or a chief medical officer. They want a go-to that they can trust. And I can, I can call this person on the phone and know what, you know, and have a relationship with them. No, and I can, they can stand by their product. And I just had this conversation this morning. Somebody said these exact words. It's like, I want to know that I can call you and, and stand by what you're going to be offering to us. And they're a part of a large MSO. So I'm sure that there's a lot of that sentiment sentiment out there. Yeah, no, I think one thing that healthcare, I think of some some um, companies, some outsiders, and I don't want to call them out, or people that have come outside from healthcare into healthcare, I think one thing they take for granted is the trust factor. I think mm-hmm. healthcare is built on trust, not just between provider and patient, but also between provider and solution, right? If we're not trusting your solution, we're not going to use it unless we're really forced to use it, right? Um, and I think that's one thing that's overlooked. They just think that, oh, you know, uh, we're solving your problem. Well, that's great. That's only half the battle. Like, we have to really trust you. We need to trust that you're going to be around for longer than, you know, three, four months or a year, two years. Like, we need you to be around for 10 years or so. Like, we need you to be in it with us, right? You can't just, like, come in, take your bag of money and leave, right? And unfortunately, that's what was happening uh, during the pandemic. And but uh, so that I think that's just something that's overlooked by a lot of these companies. Yeah, I mean, I think that I hear that a lot is that, you know, they want something transformational, not transactional, yeah. right? Whether it's a relationship with a company, the relationship with a consultant or relationship with a vendor, <coughs> um, they just want to have that relationship. So I totally agree. That's awesome. I do want to touch on something you, you talked over or talked about when you were describing what you guys were doing, evidence-based marketing. Um, that's not a term that I've heard before. Would you mind kind of going into that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that the basic idea is that, um, you know, what we see from marketing, and there's a lot of, it's a very crowded space, is that, and I'm and I'm not a marketer, you know, um, that's not my background, but I, I know that there's a huge intersection between clinic, clinician, uh, being a clinician and data in the science and marketing. And there needs to be more blending of the two. Most of the marketing that I see is just a general approach of branding, web design, SEO, pay-per-click, but it needs to go much beyond that, right? Because patients are getting, patients are smarter. They want something more nuanced and they want something evidence-based. So evidence-based marketing means whether through human beings or through software, aggregating all these other uh, psychographic and demographic data and what's going on in the mind of the patient. Um, what are the social factors that are involved, social determinants that are involved? How do we, and then what's the science of their condition? <clears throat> are we up to date on the science? Are we, you know, what's what's coming ahead? Taking all that together to create a unique message. I think if you can do something like that, that that's going to bring a lot more value because you're bringing a much more tailored approach, precision approach, 
evidence-based approach to the patient. Um, so, and that's how you differentiate yourself as well, right? Because you can, a lot of people that are good at SEO, <laughs> right? I mean, what makes us better than anybody else is that, and I think that's where the strength of having clinicians as well as marketers on our team and combining expertise of that is really helpful. And where, where I hope to bring a lot of value for other clinical consultants that want to get involved in this, you know, that, and I hear that, you know, they want to be part of this. Um, and that's where I hope I can leverage the two to bring something really unique um, to practices or to companies, right? So we're, we hear that a lot on the tech side, whether you're developing a product, uh, so developing a product or doing a go-to-market strategy, right? And that's a key thing. A lot of, I see this a lot, Companies may go through years of developing a product. Then they get the product, the product is built or they're FDA approved. Now you got 12, 16 weeks to get to market and there's really no plan, yeah. right? So it's like, okay, what do you mean? The, the device or whatever it is going to sell itself. It's going to just go off the shelf like hotcakes or every practice. And we all know that that's, that's not how it works, right? There's got to be messaging. Who's the right customer? How do we talk about the science? Which science do we talk about? Which clinician are we talking to? What's the value proposition for the ACO? What's the value proposition for the hospital? Is that different from the value proposition for the patient? Right? What are their uh, What are they valuing the most? Are they valuing quality, safety, cost? Right. So that's a huge area, and I think one of the areas I, I really get excited about is this whole go to market because it's, that's when you're really blending strategy when clinic, clinical, and science. It's a great space to be in for others that are looking to be involved and hope well, well, I hope to get more involved. But that's when you can really use your strategic mind with your science background um, and to deliver something to a product. And it's, it's, it's somewhat a game. Like we're trying to get the right product market fit and then we got to do the right messaging, take the right approach um, to get it in, in the hands of the, of the user. How do we do that? Yeah, no, uh, I, I love I love finding product market fit. I love the strategy behind finding your right customer. Yeah. and you know, you know, user personas, which ones do you go after? What you've been, I, I, I personally love that. I love that <laughs> strategy and mar- yeah. marketing side a lot with, uh, and I think that you're right. There's a lot that clinicians can bring to it because we know, I think to be good at product market fit and to be good at these kind of things, strategy and such, not only do you need to know, obviously how to do that physical act, right? How do you strategize? How do you, you know, market and all that, but like, who to go to, I think clinicians can bring a huge value in that. Like, you know, because sometimes there's like the shotgun method. Hey, we're just going to put it out there, you know, and the, if you build it, they will come thing is just never going to work unless you have yeah. like, unless you have a lot of cachet coming in or you have a gazillion dollars for marketing. Right. But, um, yeah, no, I completely, I love that space. I personally love strategy, um, and marketing a lot. Yeah, and I think, it, like I said, what I've seen this time and time again is that there's not enough clinicians that are sitting on the te- on the seat of, of when they when that those decisions are being made. Um, so whether it's a, a venture firm or whether it's just a digital health company, you know, a tech company, or device company that's at that point, and you don't have a clinician there, I mean, that's that's out. You're adding a ton of risk. <coughs> now, the, the biggest risk is not just the development of the product; it's actually executing on delivering that product to the market. Right. So if you're not taking in the insights of the clinician, then you're really missing out on something really strategic, um, which I think all the companies, if they're not thinking about, really should be. Um, and I think that's an opportunity for us as clinicians as well. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Um, so I do want to touch on the other two verticals that you guys do, finance and operations. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you walk into, let's say, 
you know, somebody reaches out to you, a small clinic or an AC or whatever, um, they say, Hey, uh, we're interested in your services. What does that look like? So then how does the onboarding process look like? Yeah. So we definitely don't just start talking about products and services. You know, we get an understanding of the practice and the pain and see what their biggest challenges are and spend a lot of time on that. Um, you know, so today, for example, um, I was on a call and somebody said, my clinicians are under such constraints that we really need to focus on revenue generating products to keep them viable. Right? Like maybe they'll do some of these other things in two years, but right now, what can you introduce that would improve quality, but also improve the viability of the practice and the revenue generators? Okay. That takes some thought, you know, so it really, you know, we're not taking a, we, we don't have a SaaS product that we just go through and deliver these. We actually, we're actually talking to the practice manager or the physician or whoever's the manager and, and getting that insight from them. You know, you have to know what the pain is for them. Right. Um, so then we can, then we tailor our approach like that. So today, for example, was, I need some revenue generators. Right. So we talked about RPM and CCM and RTM and, and uh, some AI tools that we have for coding. So that's kind of the approach. It's, it's very, you know, in some ways it's very basic in that we have to have like a real conversation, understand the needs of the practice. Then we can put together a suite of suite of options for them to to choose from. I mean, I don't think that sounds basic at all. I think that's overlooked, right? I think mm-hmm. a lot of times they like, oh, no, this is what you need. And you don't really... <laughs> The practice like, no, we don't need that. We need this. But no, no, it comes as a whole bundle. You know, it's amazing. Like, you know, take this, right? And it's just like, no, we don't need all of that. We just need this little part. I don't think that's basic yeah. at all. I think that's just the right way of doing it because yeah. you are in a service-based, you know, prof- you know we, we're, you're, do, you're providing them a service, right? You're not, you know, gracing them with your gift or anything, right? They're coming to you for help <laughs> and you have to help yeah. them with what they need, right? So, no, I think that's a, that's that, that's the perfect approach, honestly. So well, thank you. Huh? No, I said thank you. Oh, and yeah. I, I think the other thing is um is uh you know just to continue that relationship, right? So yeah. one of the things with um you know consulting is that the relationship build business and so you know we really try to continue that as we go. You know, there's a consistency in, in the communication and the mess and it's not that we've delivered the product and then let us know if you need anything. Yeah. You know, we want we want to maintain that relationship for the long term. And right now it's doable within a small team. As we grow, um, certainly we will need to bring on more more people and scale and to continue that kind of high touch uh, mentality that we have. Yeah, I mean, and it goes back to trust, right? You're 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 gaining that trust because they see you like they're not seeing you just like dump everything like vomit on them. They're, they're, they're <laughs> they see that you're really listening to them. And, yeah. you know, providing them with the, what they need. So um, if you are a clinician and you are really excited about joining your team, is how do they go about that? Yeah, so we have, I mean, um, we can, we have an intake form. Um, they can get in touch with us through our website. Um, they can talk to me directly and I, we have an intake that we have them complete. And then, you know, right now, because we're so early, we're building this big advisory base, right? So... I would advise anyone that's interested in what we've been talking about that wants to get on on is we want to build a, a team of people with unique skill sets that go through that process. Either reach out to me directly. Um, it's dipple at curatohealth.com or through our website at curatohealth.com and, um, and reach out to us and we'll do, we'll do a brief call. Awesome. So. Yeah. And I'll have 
I'll, I'll have both those. Li- I'll have all the links actually in the show notes below. But uh, you know, and that's awesome. I do. I mean, uh, I do want to kind of pivot a little bit and talk about creativity and innovation. And you kind of brought yeah. that up when you were um, talking about it, like how you felt like you weren't being able to be creative or be innovative. So this might be a hard question to answer. Why do you think that? Why do you think that the system doesn't allow for creativity and innovation from clinicians? And also, how can we break that and create a culture of innovation and creativity? Because we are creative. I mean, we know. I think if if you release us to a certain extent, right? With some boundaries, right? Obviously, uh, <laughs> we can solve a lot of problems. I mean, we are. Yeah. I feel like you know, I, and I say this not as being hyperbolic, but the system is. The system that we work in is sets us up to fail and we constantly win a lot. So if we can, if you can create a system that even is helps us win once in a while, I mean, man, the sky's the limit, honestly, because there's so many amazing people that work in the system. Yeah. I think that um, that's a great point. So I think for at least from personally, one of the things I noticed when you're in this fee-for-service model is that there's really no incentive to do th- do things more efficiently or cost-effective. Or I remember when I, you know, early in my career, I used to take pride in being very efficient and not using a lot of resources and not ordering, honestly, labs of CCs. <coughs> and the only thing I got was less compensation from <laughs> from that. Um, you know, so I was the loser and all of that, right? And I think that people think that okay, there's really no incentives to do these out-of-the-box things or try to be more efficient within the system. But that means it takes some extra thought. You know, you, uh, well, how, did I, how do I create a more efficient pathway for a patient to receive their medications? Uh, you know what? I spent an extra 20 minutes with this patient, but um, guess what? Uh, they were end of life. Now they're hospice, and I prevented the hospital, hospitalization, right? Like, that's the right thing to do. Um, it's changing slowly, but in the incentive was not, there's no incentives to do those types of things. And those are the things that really matter. Right. So I think that for me, that was this constant. Wow. I mean, I took that time. I did the right thing for the patient. There's really no incentive, not financial, but there's really no other incentive for me to keep doing this. Right. I'm just becoming more inefficient. Um, so certainly just the way that the payment system set up, right. Eat, you, eat what you kill is great, but there's, you know, there's certainly downsides to that. I know that now with um, ACO, two-sided risk models and different risks, um, that's a good step in the right direction. I think there has to be some money on the table for value. Um, you know, but uh, so that's one thing. I think that, um, you know, for me, it was, for me, it was, and I say this just being a realist, was that I just didn't see that this would be, there would be changing in, in a time that I thought would be suitable for me and where I would be in my career. And I wasn't going to wait around for it. So I think the big message I have for people, um, you know, for whatever it's worth, is that don't wait for things to happen to you. Start making things happen for yourself. And that doesn't mean you need to take some amazing actions. And you just need to talk to people. Like, I, I remember this is Zane, this is how I met you. But I think that one of the things that I, what I made an effort of, and this is starting pre-pandemic, past couple of years, was like every week I would reach out to five people on LinkedIn that are interesting. They're doing something I think is interesting to me, not for something that I want, not to try to hit them up for anything. It was just to, to learn, right? So a lot of the learning happens when you just engage in these conversations and they bring you new insights or have new experiences. And there's so many people doing amazing things out there that 
it's just like free learning, <laughs> right? Yeah. If you have the time and I just say, well, why wouldn't I take advantage of that? I, I enjoy these kind of conversations. I love it. It's even better, you know, like we do it over dinner, but hey, these are okay. Um, and I would just make, I would just be consistent with that. I think that the consistency for me is is really important. Because I think anything that you do, whether it's going to be you know, trying to build your network or build your business, you just keep at it every day. And that's the thing I've learned over the past I don't have to have wins every day, but I just need to keep at it every day a little bit, a little bit. And then, you know, things are going to start to snowball. So having that mindset definitely helps. I think that for people that are interested in this kind of thing, this is a great outlet for for being creative and that there's lots of ways to do things, right? You're not you're not just in an algorithm of treating a STEMI <laughs> and you have to do A, B, C, D, E, right? You have to do... And there's a lot more to it than that. There's lots of ways to build a product. There's, you know, so I think be, being in this entrepreneurial space, not building a business, but just adding some value um, in, 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 I'm certainly happy to continue this discussion again, but whether it's as an advisor, that's a great thing for, for physicians and clinicians to do is um, get involved with companies that um, are at early stage that are looking for advisors. I think that's a great way to do something low risk, not a lot of time commitment that'll give you a tremendous amount of satisfaction. You know, so that's actually how I started. I started advising a few companies um, and just getting involved. And, and it's interesting because some of them, I, I thought, well, this is totally out of my expertise. What value could I possibly bring? And it's amazing that, um, that there, how much things overlap with healthcare and you will be able to deliver value. So I would say that's the other thing is just start talking to people. They're going to ask you. There's a lot of appreciation for healthcare providers what we do um and i think they understand the value and in insights of things that we take for granted right we talk when we talk about um basic things that we see in the hospital emergency room that people have no clue about right so bringing those insights to a board are really valuable and it's nice i mean you can early stage company it's low risk you can continue your your position and whatever you're doing is for your day job. And then you'll, you you may get some equity or some other incentive in the deal. Um, but that's a great way if people are looking to just get their feet wet um, to get started in something. No, I love that. And I think another thing that they'll realize is I think sometimes you know, we kind of get caught in our own echo chamber in healthcare. You know, it's all negative or everything is bad and this and that. And then when you kind of reach outside of the healthcare space, like, you know, yeah. I do the same thing. I reach out to people that I find interesting with zero ulterior motive. I'm just literally <laughs> trying to learn and yeah. listen because I'm, I like to be the dumbest person in the room, which is not really hard for me, honestly, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, you learn so many great things. And then you also find yeah. out that, you know, we're not alone. There are other yeah. people trying to help us and they're yeah. just, and, and some of them are even trying to connect with us and they, and, and, you know how we like, you know, how clinicians say, oh, how do we find these companies? Those companies are saying the same thing. How do we find these clinicians? It's amazing. Yeah, you really. So I think that um, ultimately people have to take a little bit, be a little bit proactive, right? If you're just waiting for people to offer you opportunities and just sit back and relax and while they're doing that, then that's probably not going to be the, the best approach. I think that, you know, one thing that I, I really try to take to heart is you're, you're definitely the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of something that stuck with me is that, and I, I advise this for physicians or clinicians is that you need to stop talking to clinicians so much. <laughs> and that's something I'd made a concerted effort to do is that not just because of the negativity aspect of it, but you're really trying to 
go out, you know, really step out of the boundaries of your knowledge and your insights and all these different things. So started talking to marketers and finance people and, um, you know, people that have, you know, taken their companies public or do all these things. And you feel like, wow, well, I don't even know if I can relate to you. But um, it's amazing the amount of things that you can re- you can learn from being with those types of people. So one other piece of advice is, you know, for whatever it's worth, is stop talking to clinicians so much. Pick pick some non-clinicians that you know or that you find on LinkedIn and reach out to them and just have conversations. And you're going to learn a lot. And that's kind of my approach. I mean, I I, I spend a lot of time talking to non-clinicians now, and I think that it helps me because I know where my weaknesses are, and I also they think people think about things in a different way, especially with you know business. And I learn a lot. Um, so that I think is another piece of advice that has helped me. Is just thinking about okay, who am I talking to on a day to day basis? Is yeah. it just yard docs like myself? No, that's not going to help me. <laughs> if everyone's complaining about the same thing over and over, like how does that help me? Like, got get out of that and do get out of that negativity. But then just start to think. Go to people that are doing other things that are passionate about something and. And have like you know a different perspective and different, and you'll find amazing things out there. So. I hundred percent agree with you. Um, I I did the same thing. I was talking to pharmacists and other doctors and stuff like that. And once I started talking to other people like sales, marketing, um, founders, all these random people, um, I learned. You just learn so much just talking to them, asking them questions, them asking you questions, because even the way they ask a question, you're like, Oh, I never thought of it that way. Right. And they, yeah. and it's just like little nuanced things that you can, you can learn so much. And then also you, you develop awesome relationships with these people because you know, they're people like you, right. They're, they're, you know, yeah. we're all, we're all human beings. We're all trying to make the world better. And honestly, for me, it was needed because, you know, during the pandemic, I was like, you know, I, I like many clinicians was in this, like, Oh my God, what the hell is going on? Well, yeah. you know, and then, you know, it, it really helped me to talk to other people trying to help me like, you know, like kind of help me help you. Right. Like they were trying to help us, but I was so caught up in what is going on in the hospital that I couldn't even see it. So when I was seeing that, it honestly centered me again. And it was like, you know what? The, like you said, we have to help ourselves. We can't just sit around and be like, oh, okay, this is just the way it is. We have to go out and really take the reins. And it's great talking to people that are doing that because, A, it shows you there are people doing that, A, and B, that you can also be part of that change. You don't have to just accept what's given to you. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, our careers are only so long, right? So do you want to really be in a system where you're just sucking it up? for your career. I mean, how much of that can one do? Right. So I felt like, you know, the other thing I was going to mention to you is that don't take for granted likability, right? People, people want to work with people they like, Yeah. right? You don't have to be like the most knowledgeable all the time or the smartest or the most technical, like, but if you get along with people and you're likable and you're curious and you're humble, you know, which, um, you're gonna people are gonna call you and they're gonna want to work with you like because they just you want you're in a team usually right mm-hmm. and you if you can be a good part of that team then that's that's more important than any one single attribute that you have that's amazing so i think that people just take that basic things like that really do matter you know you can relate to and most clinicians do this we talk to patients all day right so we know how to talk to people right so whether they're older or younger, whatever, we know we have challenging situations. We have people, you know, in the ER, we have patients that are spitting on us in the face and we got to keep our composure, yeah. right? 
well, if we can do that, then we can talk to people in a boardroom, right? So um, I think it, I think just appreciation of these simple things, like be likable, be humble, be curious. And and the fun, the nice thing is being an entrepreneur is you have to be humble because <laughs> you, there's so much you don't know, right? So if you can be, take that approach. And that's this is what's helping me is to have that approach. And like I said, going back to earlier is just resetting yourself a little bit from the mindset of, yeah, I'm the best or this or that. No, I mean, just be humble and learn and have that mindset. It makes it more fun for you. And it most likely will off, you'll get some more opportunities too, because people remember you as, oh yeah, I remember talking to that person. He was, he was great. He shared his knowledge. He was a very likable person. Um, that's how relationships get built. And then you get opportunities that way too. 100%. I really don't have much to add to that. I completely agree <laughs> with you there. Um, yeah. So I, we're kind of, kind of coming against, actually we've, Across the time, actually, I'm sorry about that, but uh, I was just loving this conversation. I completely lost track of time, but I do want to end Likewise. with asking you one last question: What advice would you have, knowing what you know now? What advice would you have given yourself when you were in med school, or you know, right when you came out of residency, or whatever? That you know, what would, or any person that is in med school or clinic, pharmacy school, or nursing school, whatever, right? What advice would you give them right now, knowing what you know now? Yeah, I would, I would, well, there's so much, you know, that I think I've learned, but like the number one thing I think would be to continue your learning no matter what and continue developing relationships and talking to people and don't think of it as the learning must stop once I reached, you know, this field or received this job, you know, have the mindset of always trying to learn and stretch your boundaries. Um, you know, I think that I did some of that based out of necessity, you know, just because I didn't want to. Um, but having that mindset, I think, will just keep people more satisfied no matter what they're doing. Not everybody has to be an entrepreneur, but, uh, you know, as long as you continue that that mindset. Um, and then the other thing I'd say is, you know, you don't have to think about things in such a linear way all the time, right? So as clinicians, like, the system's kind of like doing things one way it's been done. But start challenging those ways, whether you have to step outside of your office or your hospital in what are the way and talk to other people and find new ways of doing things. Um, and it's never too early to start questioning that because you don't want it. What I don't, what I think that you don't want to be is someone that's just cynical about the whole system. Yeah, it's never going to change. And I remember when I first started coming back to my first year as an attending at an older attending that was um, talking like that. And I remember this patient was in the emergency room and I'll leave well on the side anecdote and he just, and um, patient had an arterial bleed. And uh, in the ER, no one had signed up for this patient. And uh, he was in, walking in front of me and he sees his patient and he just kind of, oh, that's not mine. I'm not on the chart. And he walks away. And I said, oh, man, um, if I ever get to that point in my life, I really need to do something else. Like I, I just I, somebody has to tell me, like, stop doing this. Find something else to do with your time. So I think that. Um, you know, the point of that was just not to get so accepting of the way the system is. The more we can do that and continue to challenge, the better we're all going to be up before it. And it doesn't have to be something major. You know, if you change the system, there are hundreds of thousands of those small solutions, micro solutions on a day to day basis. We each do something like that, then we can do a lot of good. Oh, I love that. And I, I definitely agree with that 100%. You don't, you know, change, you can take, you can reach great distances by taking very small steps. It's just a matter of time. And um, yeah, I love, I love that. But uh, thank you so much for everything. This is a great conversation. And 
I will have the links to how to reach out to you on the show notes below. So if anyone's interested in reaching out, uh, please, you know, email him, reach out to him. I can speak from experience, extremely approachable, extremely amazing (laughs) human being. So definitely, even if you're not looking, just reach out to him. Like you said, talk to other people and learn. So uh, I've learned a lot during this conversation, though. I really appreciate your time and thank you so much. I appreciate you having me, Zane. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.